Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Jonathan Hutton of Outkick.com and Outkick360. We will get ready for the Super Bowl with Jonathan Hutton. Also going to talk about some of the coaching changes around the NFL and more when he joins us in a little uh, college basketball talk with uh, Hutton when he'll be here later on in the show. We'll also uh, take a look around the National Football League, have our Big 12 breakdown, talking uh, the uh, hoop side, Big 12 schedule releases out, and uh, we'll have our town full restored the week as well coming up at the end of the show. No Coach Bo this week. Coach Bo uh, a little bit under the weather, but uh, nonetheless, we will uh, charge on and uh, move on with today's show. We'll hear back from Coach Bo next week. So with that, Tom Spritz joins me as always. Tom, uh, we begin today with uh, the retirement of Tom Brady. And uh, I'm not going to go through the whole big charade again like we did last year because uh, we, we've said everything that needs to be said as far as Tom retiring goes. But uh, just as far as on the, the, the football front of things, of where we – kind of go from here I'll, I'll say this much this past year you know I, i'll be honest i was one of those that i wasn't ready for time to retire last year but this year i come into a situation where i'm saying to myself yeah it's it's time because that wasn't the same tom brady even from a year ago that things were finally starting to catch up to him i know his offensive line was terrible their run game wasn't very good but I mean, you could have said the same thing about their run game the last couple of seasons. Uh, something had clearly fallen off. We know about the stuff going on in his personal life and all that, too. Um, it didn't make any sense for Tom Brady to try to go be a, a Las Vegas Raider or a Miami Dolphin or anything like that. I mean, it was time. Uh, he's the greatest of all time. You know, we got a lot of Tom Brady over the years, probably uh, more than enough Tom Brady, I think, over the years. but. Nonetheless, uh, I I think that this felt like uh, this had this had ran its course essentially. Yeah, I think it it finally had. I mean, it was. I think it would have been foolish for him to to go and play for the Raiders or the Niners or the Dolphins or any of the other teams. It would have just felt very gimmicky, and so I think he knew that too. And it just you know he. Uh, even quoted back in like 2014, he said, I'll quit when I suck. I'm not saying he had, uh, you know, a sucky year, but it was definitely his, I thought his least productive year or just, I didn't feel like he was that he had it together. Like he, you know, did in his previous years. And I don't think he would, you know, I don't, I don't know what team he could go to that would welcome him in that he could actually take to the Super Bowl. Right. I mean, Maybe the Niners, um, but, you know, with Brock Purdy being out for the next six months and Trey Lance being unproven, I guess that's about the only situation that might have worked. But, I mean, Brock Purdy, even with that six-month timeline, uh, could be back right in time before the season begins anyway. So, uh, with that said, yeah, it's uh, it, it's an interesting point to see this happen, Tom Brady step aside and – even in this down year, we still saw a couple Tom Brady moments, though. You know, I think about the Monday night game against the Saints, uh, leading that comeback win, uh, the game against the Rams this year. But he led that uh, come from behind victory and that drive and everything. Um, 
you know, this this was a unconventional year for Tom Brady of a losing record, n- nothing going right, it seemed, uh, getting blown out by the Dallas Cowboys to end his career. Um, I mean, you know, it, it, it was it was cool, I guess, you know, some of those comeback moments where we still we saw some vintage Tom Brady a couple times this year. But for the most part, Tom, I know you feel this way that uh, if he would have left last year, uh, I think that would have been probably a better ending this year. Kind of felt like the waste in all honesty of, you know, last year he was, he threw for 40 touchdowns, played an MVP level. They lost in a competitive game against the Rams that you were at. Um, but this year, other than a couple moments, you know, what, what what's the end result? He got Byron Leftwich fired and, you know, got, got uh, forced uh, Bruce Arians to retire here. I mean, there was, uh, th- this was not the, the fairy tale ending for Tom Brady that it could have been. Yeah, it definitely wasn't. And I mean, you're right. Obviously I'm a little biased because I could have gotten to say that I've watched his last game in person, but, uh, you know, it just didn't feel like they were going to be in, and, you know, they had a decent roster. I mean, uh, they could have ran the ball more for sure. Looking back, but I mean, last year felt like the, you know, put it all out on the field and, you know, just came up short there. And I think, you know, his and, – and, you know, he could have – obviously he was thinking about retiring last year because he did and then came out of retirement. Um, So, you know, I think maybe a little – like a year too long. But, I mean, you know, if you're if you're the coaches or anybody else, you let Tom Brady play as long as he wants to. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think obviously it's time and, and, uh, you know, they'll, it's hard to say that there'll be anybody ever better. Yeah. Uh, no question. I mean, he, he earned the right to be out there for sure. Uh, I think you're right about that. Nobody's denying that, but, uh, it wasn't a good ending. I think everybody could say that objectively. And now the next step for Tom Brady, uh, the future in broadcasting is he's going to head to Fox and be in their uh, broadcast booth. And there's some interesting drama in that situation, Tom, because you have Tom Brady that's got about to get paid $37 million a year to be the lead analyst for the NFL on Fox. Meanwhile, Greg Olson, who holds that role right now, has been outstanding this year, done a great job calling games on Fox, the, the former uh, Pro Bowl tight end for uh, Carolina and Seattle and, and Chicago. Um, and... Now, I guess I was reading about this, Tom. It's pretty interesting that in Olsen's contract, if he gets demoted to the number two team, he loses $7 million a year by getting demoted and Brady coming in and taking his job. And I guess uh, Olsen's still going to do the Super Bowl with Kevin Burkhart. That's the plan. But Tom Brady's probably going to be involved in the pregame show or whatever. I'm like, man, I mean – this is this is unfortunate that uh you know I, I'm excited to see Tom call games and everything but I feel bad for Olsen because I've enjoyed listening to Greg call these games uh, on Sundays here he and Kevin Burkhart they've been a nice team uh, on Fox there oh yeah for sure and you know I'm sure Greg Olson's like oh golly like at least I'm sure he's rooting for Tom Brady to play one more year right yeah I mean I'd hate to lose seven million to Tom Brady I mean Greg Olson, I'm sure, got beat by Tom Brady multiple times in his career, and now he's getting beat again. Right. 
Yeah. I mean, if they could find a compromise, like move Greg or Tom to the studio or something, um, and everybody can still get paid the money they want. I mean, that's, uh, that sucks. Uh, Greg Olson getting the raw end of the deal. Uh, I guess there is a clause in his contract that he can leave if he gets another number one analyst job somewhere else. Uh, otherwise though, he's going to do the number two team next year. So uh, that's important. I really enjoyed listening to Greg this year with uh, Burkhardt, and I'm sure they'll do a good job with the uh, the Super Bowl here in a, a couple of weeks. And Tom, uh, we won't spend a whole lot of time on the uh, Super Bowl today because we got all next week to talk about that too. But uh, I'll just say uh, what a matchup that we have. And just kind of looking back on the AFC and NFC championship games, let's start with that AFC title game, Mahomes and the Chiefs found a way uh i still think i don't know about you tom the Bengals were the better team i thought they were more talented uh but they got in their own way i mean joe burrow who you and i we're big fans of we love joe burrow don't get me wrong here but you know we we looked at this game and said who's gonna flinch first and joe burrow made some crucial mistakes he had two two interceptions two turnovers Costly ones at that, and, and, and one in particular late in this football game here. I'm not saying that Joe Burrow lost him in this football game, but between the turnovers he had, the opportunity they had in the fourth quarter, you know, to go lead the drive, and ultimately they uh, ended up punting there in those final seconds. Um, you know, th- this this round went to went to Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes made the plays. When they got the football last, everyone knew they were going to find a way to go drive down and score and win that football game. Um, you know, this was Mahomes' moment. This team played with a chip on their shoulder. We heard it from Travis Kelsey calling out the Cincinnati mayor and all that. Um, I mean, th- th- this one, this was Mahomes' moment. And I'm not going to sit here and say they, they wanted it more because uh, I think that's all cliche and everything like that. But you you could tell there was there was some determination of some sorts from this Kansas team that they uh, this Kansas City team that they weren't going to uh, give it their all here that they were going to play mistake free football and they did just that. Yeah, they did, and uh, you know, bro, those two interceptions did work costly, and they had a chance to you know take the lead at the end of the game. Instead, Kansas City got the ball back and and was able to take advantage. And you know there was some questionable calls, but on both sides, and you're going to have that. And I hate to have it come down to that. Um, I still think Kansas City deserved the win regardless. And uh, you know, Jones, I'm look at this matchup, but uh, you know, at Mahomes and Burrow. Uh, now is this going to be like the new Peyton Manning, Tom Brady type matchup? I think so. And, uh, you know, so far in postseason play, we're one and one between these two and with both going to Super Bowl. Yeah. Both fantastic games. Yeah. Yeah. No question. It came right down to the very end with the winner going to the Super Bowl when it mattered. Um, Josh Allen, Tom, I mean, you and I would agree on this. Like, Josh Allen's terrific. You know, he is an outstanding quarterback in this league. And uh, I, I would I would even say, I would go as far as say, I'm a Josh Allen fan. I like the guy. There's nothing – I don't, don't have anything against Josh Allen at all. But, I mean, from what we've seen in these two seasons, I think 
it's it's not Mahomes and Allen. It's Mahomes and Joe Burrow. Joe didn't play his best last week, um, but that that was one bad one bad game for Joe. I mean, he was outstanding in uh, that performance uh, against the Bills, you know, a couple weeks ago. And and think about this, okay? You know, you want to talk about the the Brady and uh, Manning thing potentially with Burrow and Mahomes here. I mean, you you, you have uh Mahomes is like the big arm quarterback, kind of like Peyton Manning. And you have the decisive, fast decision maker like Tom Brady was in Joe Burrow. Both of them are more athletic by a lot than Manning or Brady were. But, I mean, it, it does feel like the second coming of these two. I mean, yeah, somebody's got to fill shoes. You know, there are shoes now to fill, um, you know. Aaron Rodgers might be on his way out as well. You know, he's he's the last of the greats that we kind of grew up with. Or, you know, he was on the tail end of when we were on the way out of our childhood came Aaron Rodgers a little bit. Um, and, you know, we could see Aaron Rodgers potentially go to the Raiders or maybe even hang it up. We don't know yet. Um, so this, these feel like the three quarterbacks coming in, you know, maybe Jalen Hurts has something to say too um about that conversation but it's pretty clear cut the top three quarterbacks in the league um are all in the AFC and it's Mahomes, Burrow and Josh Allen. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um and uh and you know it, it's interesting for me too. I I think about this time of the we mentioned the chip on the shoulder Kansas City played with. We heard what Travis Kelsey said in the post game and the fact that he and Mahomes were coming in off of injuries and everything, and yet they still found a way to win, uh, kind of calling out the Cincinnati mayor the way that they did here uh, and all that, you know, playing the underdog role, which was just so disrespectful the way people talked about this Kansas City Chiefs team uh, after hosting five straight AFC title games here. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a dangerous predicament when you got a team that you know uh, can be as good as the Chiefs are and find ways to win and yet play the underdog role here. I mean, the, the disrespect this team got the last week was uh, was just absurd, and and they, they clearly used that as motivation. Oh, for sure. And, I mean, you heard it after, you know, Travis Kelsey at the end and what, Travis Kelsey had the first two touchdowns in that game? Yeah. Uh, I mean, set the tone pretty early. Um, and you know, Kansas City was up what 13 3, and the Bengals battled back. But I mean, you could tell that that you know, this Chiefs team was was alive and ready to fight, uh, right out of the gate. And you know, I, I think even uh, you know, Arrowhead, you know, the people in that building probably took that a little personally and and seemed to be loud and proud all game. Yeah, the 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 Burrowhead mantra uh, off of just one win at that place uh, that didn't sit well for sure. Meanwhile, the NFC title game, Eagles just dominate. But Tom, I, I, I'll say this: when Brock Purdy went down, that game completely changed. I'm not even. I'm not saying. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the Niners would have won that game had Brock Purdy not gotten hurt. But I think you at least have a competitive game that potentially goes down to the wire here. I mean, there was there was just no shot for San Francisco 
when they went to Josh Johnson and then when they were not able to even throw the football, when they had to just hand it off to Christian McCaffrey uh, time and time again. I mean, that game was just instantly over right there. Um, Philly, I thought going in was the better team anyway. They're the I, I've said it all year. They're the best team in the NFL, most complete team in football. Um, but there there was just no hope for San Francisco immediately when uh, Brock Purdy went down there. That changed the whole game. Oh, yeah. I mean, once that happened, it was just, uh, you know, the blowout started commencing just because there was no way the 49ers were going to be able to hang with the Eagles with without uh, a quarterback, to, uh, you know, at least as good as Brock Purdy. Um, you know, that it, and you hate to see that, obviously. And obviously, 49ers have been had the quarterback woes all year, uh, from Jimmy G to Trey Lance, now to Brock Purdy. And, uh, you know, it does as much as I do dislike the 49ers because they're in the Rams division, I'd still feel bad for them. And it could have been a lot better game had Brock Purdy not been hurt. I think the Eagles still probably would have won that game, but I think it would have been at least a game I could have sat down and watched all of instead of getting up and doing household chores. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I understand what you mean there that, uh, the, the Philadelphia pass rush, um, the problems that they gave Brock Purdy, you know, getting, uh, you know, obviously getting him hurt wasn't dirty or anything, clean play, but that pass rush was such a problem. They've been historically good this season. Um, you know, we'll dive more in depth next week on the Super Bowl itself. But I got to tell you, just looking ahead, Tom, that pass rush of Philadelphia, the problems they've had all given teams all year, and taking on a, a Patrick Mahomes that's not going to be 100%. He'll be a lot further off, comparably speaking, if this game was played this week. Um, if this game was played this week, it'd be bad news bears for the Chiefs <laughs> trying to come in, you know, as unhealthy as they are against Philadelphia here. That bye week certainly benefits the Chiefs. But I got to tell you, I mean, that that pass rush is uh, – that is going to be a problem. And they have been uh, something incredible all year with the, the guys that they have there uh, week in and week out. I mean, J- Javon Hargrave, right now, Tom, Hargrave, he's playing the best football of his career right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, that whole front line and – that whole Eagles defense is, is uh, you know, one that I don't feel like – I guess they are talked about quite a bit, but I still don't feel like – I feel like they could be talked about more, if that makes sense. Right. They're historically good, and no one knows that. Right. And, and you know, they're kind of overshadowed by uh, – maybe a little bit, a lot of talk, obviously, on Jalen Hurts. Um, but and, – and credit to Jalen Hurts, too, but this Eagles team – you know, wouldn't be where they are without that defense. And I guess you could say it's very complimentary football because I don't think they would be where they're at without, you know, how the Eagles offense is played. Right. You mentioned Jalen Hurts. And uh, credit where credit's due because, Tom, you, you and I, we watched his entire career dating back to his time at Alabama to OU um, to his beginning days in the NFL uh, with Doug Peterson there. And – those three coaches, who were all very good coaches in their own right, don't get me wrong, of Doug Peterson, Lincoln Riley, and Nick Saban, none of them could get it right with Jalen Hurts to develop him as a as a good enough passer. The running was always there, and we could tell that he was a great athlete, but at all three of those stops, 
even his best year in college at Oklahoma, he still was not that great of a passer. But credit to Nick Sirianni, he's figured it out with Jalen Hurts. And Jalen's put in the work, too. I mean, you got to give Jalen credit for that himself to, to go out there. I mean, he is a different quarterback than what he was when he was a second-round pick out of Oklahoma. And, and they have maximized on his talent. And uh, we saw, too, when, when he was hurt, when he wasn't out there, they weren't the same team without him. They clearly had taken a step back. I mean, uh, Jalen's something else. I mean, I, I, I've i always liked Jalen. I, I, it's hard to root against the guy. Uh, but, I mean, the guy has simply put in the work, and Sirianni has figured it out to – to play at a, at a level of potential that I'll be honest, Tom, I never saw coming. No, neither did I. I mean, you, we always thought that Jalen hurts, you know, when he first started was kind of a stopgap for the Eagles to kind of figure out what they wanted to do next. Uh, especially after coming off like a down year, you, you know, you deal out Carson Wentz and well, now you've got Jalen hurts and, uh, you know, kind of rolled with him and see what he was capable of. And like you said, he put in the work and has been able to get the job done. He's seems to have a, a pretty good connection um, with A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. Uh, I mean, what what more is there to say? I mean, he's playing phenomenal. And, and obviously, it's a big reason why the Eagles are in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, he deserves a lot of credit for sure. Uh, one more thing, Super Bowl-wise, and then we'll uh... – We'll move on here, Tom. Um, the storylines leading in, into this game, you know, you got two young quarterbacks, both Big 12 guys in Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts. You got the Andy Reid Bowl, Andy taking on his favorite team. You got the Kelsey Bowl with, uh, you know, uh, the Kelsey brothers, of course, in this game who are both going to be future Hall of Famers in their own right. Um, I mean, there's so many different directions you go. What's your favorite storyline uh, of this Super Bowl so far? <clears throat> oh, it's got to be the Kelsey brothers, right? I mean, I think that's uh, kind of what America wanted. You know, their mom's got to be proud. And, uh, you know, I, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. You're obviously proud that you're, both your sons are in the Super Bowl, but, uh, you know, you're obviously at a crossroads of how do you console one and can, can congratulate the other. Uh, you know, you could say that Travis Kelsey already has one, and so now you're rooting for your other son to get one. Well, Jason's got one too. Oh yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, never mind. So yeah, so yeah, I guess he does. Yeah, um, yeah, that's weird. Um, you know, how, where do you? Who do you? What do you say? You know, the brothers have to be talking a lot of trash to each other right now. I love uh, that, uh, that Jason Kelsey after the Chiefs win immediately tweeted, "I am no longer a Chiefs fan this year." Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, it's obviously all in fun, but you know, I mean, this is one of those. If this whoever wins this game, that 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 goes on well after they retire, you know, if they have kids, I'm, I think they both have kids. I think I'm not a hundred percent sure, um, but that's one you tell at the family Christmas. Yeah, well, I beat your uncle back in 2023 in the Super Bowl, bring it up at the family dinner for the rest of their life, right? Um, we're, we're going to dive into the coaching, uh, carousel and, and get into that situation when Jonathan Hutton joins us, uh, here in just a bit, uh, more in depth, but I want to touch on it briefly here, Tom, the, uh, the Broncos go Sean Payton, the Texans go with D'Amico Ryans, uh, 
Cardinals and Colts still looking to fill their jobs. Uh, no updates on that at the time of this recording. Uh, but with those two hires that were made, Texans with D'Amico, that's a home run. Uh, I like that for them to bring in one of their all-time greats, who I think is the best defensive coordinator of the NFL. Uh, now, you know, they have two top 12 picks. Probably go get Bryce Young with one of them. Um, a chance to build up a young team. If management stays out of the way, D'Amico Ryans in Houston, that could be a great marriage uh, between those two um, and, and make that work. And, you know, I, I think they potentially found a great head coach in D'Amico there. Sean Payton in Denver, um, I, I feel like, Tom, in that case, it, it's like you're playing poker and you're going all in. They already gave up a lot for Russell Wilson and it didn't work last year. Now you're giving up even more draft capital to go in with Sean Payton. If anyone can fix Russell Wilson, it's Sean Payton. But I think personally, Russell Wilson's beyond repair here. I, I, Sean Payton's a Hall of Fame coach. You know he, he's, uh, you know he's great. No, no question about it. But I mean, if this doesn't work, if he can't fix Sean Payton, and if he can't fix Russell Wilson, that might not be his fault. To be honest, um, this could in miserably for a Denver who's already in the hole when it comes to uh, draft picks and young talent and everything. What do you think of those two hires? I mean, yeah, they doubled down on the mortgage and franchise potentially. I mean, uh, you know, if this doesn't work out, you know, with the, with what they give up for Russell Wilson and what they've given up now for Sean Payton, uh, I mean, they've pretty much just said F them picks, you know, style with the Rams, but haven't really seen any dividends yet for it. And, Sure, they might, you know, um, you know, maybe Russell Wilson gets back to form, but he's not getting any younger. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't say he's lost the locker room by any means, but I think they're pretty, there are still some questions, I guarantee, in that locker room that they're wondering if this is kidding, is actually the guy or are we going to be a bottom of the barrel team, or, you yeah, know, does, team. Does Russ still have his own office in that locker room, you think? Yeah, I, I don't know. And, you know, if Aaron Rodgers comes to, uh, the Raiders or the Raiders figure it out. The Raiders have some talent. They could make some ways with the right coach and obviously a better quarterback. And it seems like Devontae Adams said that, you know, what city is Aaron Rodgers coming to? And he replied, mine. Uh, so we'll see about that later on too. But, you know, that division's not getting any easier. Uh, I mean, the Broncos, this doesn't work out. They're going to be in the hole for a long, long, long time. Yeah. Yeah, uh, what, what do you think about uh, D'Amico there going to Houston? Yeah, I think that's pretty good. It's pretty interesting. He just told the Broncos not interested. Um, and maybe it has to do with Elway a little bit. And, you know, the Texans kind of a – I don't know. I wouldn't call the Texans a clean slate by any means. But uh, maybe, you know, maybe a little bit easier to work in Houston than it would be in Denver. Right. Yeah, maybe so. Uh Ownership's fired back-to-back -back coaches, though. Uh, let's see if they actually give D'Amico a chance this time, if they're willing to to work with him and and uh, see this thing through uh, as far as that goes. You know, back-to-back first-year head coaches got fired there with the uh, Houston Texans. More on the coaching changes when Jonathan Hutton joins us uh, coming up in just a, a little while from right now. But let's go ahead and get to our Big 12 breakdown this week with the latest in the Big 12 conference as we're talking a Big 12 football schedule release and also a little basketball update as well. 
Big 12 Breakdown, Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges here with you. And uh, we usually begin with our, our hot takes this week. And I'll say this, uh, hot take-wise, I know I sold the farm on Kansas basketball last week. I told you this team, uh, you know, just wasn't good. And they weren't good last week. Uh, but, but Tom, I'm, I'm back in. I'm back in, I got to tell you. Uh, with with what I saw from the win against Kentucky, dominating K-State the way that they did here, um, I think they went through the lull of some sorts that Bill Self got his team's attention, and uh, Kansas is back. So uh, just like that, uh, they turned things around like that. But, I mean, same thing like I said last week. Got to have somebody other than – uh, Grady Dick and Jalen Wilson step up. Kevin McClure, some of these guys here have got to do more of their part to keep this thing going. So that's my hot take this week. Kansas basketball is back. Uh, I'm back on the bandwagon again. Tom, what's uh, your hot take this week? You going football, basketball? Which direction are you going here? That's uh, you know, I I'll say let's I'll do maybe one of one of each. Not anything crazy, but still maybe a little bit hot either way. I think. I think if one team from the Big 12 makes the Final Four, I'm locking in K-State to make okay. the Final Four. Um, I will lock in K-State. I think the way they've been playing, I think, has been phenomenal. I think K-State gets the better uh, the better overall ending uh, than KU this year. Uh, that's hot take number one. Football hot take. Um, you know, Big 12 schedules released now. Um, and I will say that Oklahoma State pulls it off and win. Or, no, let me say, let, I'm not going to get that crazy yet. I will say that this year is the last bedlam. Okay. Uh, this is it, huh? I think this is it. I think, you know, they said next year. Obviously, could be, you know, the last one would be played in Norman uh, next year. Obviously, this one's uh, early November. It's November 4th this year, Bedlam is. Um, but I think this is the last one. I don't think it will be played next season. Okay. Yeah. Um, very well could be. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll look into that, I'm sure, in the future of what exactly goes on. Clock's ticking on OU in Texas to officially make that call, though, as uh, – they have to give the Big 12 an 18-month notice uh, from the time they plan to depart the league. And, of course, uh, the new league year would be July 1st, 2024. So um, we're going to find this answer pretty soon, one way or the other, if the Big 12, uh, if OU and Texas are leaving early or not, what that exactly looks like. We should have that answer soon. As far as the Big 12 schedule release goes, Dom, uh, a couple things stand out to me. Number one, uh, I love that Houston is going to get to host Texas and that they're going to play on campus, not going to be at NRG Stadium. Uh, the, the one thing I think we all said was going to happen, for sure, one way or the other, the Big 12 was going to make sure that Texas had to play at Houston, and they did just that. To me, that's hilarious. Um, I think the the, the number, thing I'll, number one thing I want, just like stepping back this year, wouldn't it just be so beautiful if Houston wins that game uh, with Texas going 
out the door if if Houston could win at home against Texas there. That that would d- deliver quite a resounding message to Texas on their way out. I, I'm I, I'm going to be such a Houston fan that week. I can't wait, Tom. Oh, I mean, I think everybody will, you know, at least in the hateful eight. Uh, you know, I Houston, you know, with uh, Dana Holgerson, you know, I, he's made some recent comments uh, about about just everything going on at Houston in terms of athletics, about, you know, being finishing last. Um, with that, I mean, that's it's, it was a very vague comment, but still not vague enough that I think that maybe something's going on there. But, uh, I mean, we'll be all rooting for Houston, and I can they pull it off? I would, I would, I'm, we're all going to hope so, but it would be a hell of a story if they end up pulling it off. I can't, I can't wait for this football season. Yeah. Also on Texas's schedule in league play, they're only going to leave the conference or leave the uh, state of Texas one time, all, all conference play. They'll play at Iowa state and that's it. Um, it, It's amazing to me of all these games they get in the state of Texas, the way things worked out for them. The play uh, at Alabama in the non-con, but that's it. Uh, wh- what an interesting predicament. I mean, Texas not leaving the state. Meanwhile, Oklahoma State doesn't get to play in the state of Texas at all here. Um, I mean, wh- what a what a weird predicament, Tom, and such a unfortunate thing for Oklahoma State to not get to travel to the state of Texas where their biggest recruits come from. Yeah, I don't know how that happened or how Oklahoma State let that happen. I don't know why they weren't on the bargaining table more there. Um, you know, I'm, oh, you know, if you're an Oklahoma State fan, you have to be upset at that uh, because that's their direct pipeline. I mean, that's Texas is their biggest state to recruit in. That's where most of the players are from. So uh, it's pretty weird. I'm not sure how they got the shaft there, um, but. I'm sure I'm hoping something would come out about that and explain the reasoning why, or they could just say that's how the cookie crumbles. I don't know. Uh, it is very interesting though. Yeah. Um, Dylan Gabriel going to face his old school UCF uh, coming up on uh, October 21st as a UCF comes to Norman. I thought this was a missed opportunity for the schedule time. Uh I would have liked to see Dylan Gabriel go back to UCF, go back to Orlando and, and face Gus Malzahn and company that way. Uh, you know, it, it's cool that he's playing his former team, but uh, I, I, I thought that was a missed opportunity. We've known, uh, you know, for months that Dylan Gabriel is going to be OU starter next year. And the Big 12 waited so long in the schedule release, you know, when in the NIL era and everything, that college football is now you can make a schedule where you're trying to find storylines among the players besides just the schools themselves here. It's cool that OU's playing UCF, but I thought that was a missed opportunity not to send uh, Dylan Gabriel and the Sooners down to uh, Orlando here. Oh, I mean, yeah, I was, that was one of the other mishaps I was going to say. I mean, it should have been the Sooners going down and, Dylan Gabriel returns back to his old school at the bounce house that, I mean, missed opportunity for a great storyline. Yeah. Um, and then when you look at, uh, that, uh, at this schedule too, some of the things that, that, that are interesting to me is think about like Kansas, for example, 
gets OU and Texas. Meanwhile, uh, there's some other teams on here. Uh, I believe it's uh, – let's see here. There's uh, Kansas State will only get – you know, will only get Texas. Um, you know, there's some others here like, uh, let's see, Houston uh, is going to get Texas. Cincinnati gets OU, but they don't get Texas here. Um, you know, the way this all works out – uh, just going down the line here, it, it's it's amazing to me to look at who does and who doesn't get OU or Texas here uh, the, the way this works out. I think everybody wants one shot at them at least one more time. Some teams aren't going to uh, – it's already set in stone, Tom, that some of these teams are not going to play OU or not going to play Texas again. Yeah, and I unless you you know you they were to meet in the Big Twelve Championship or something like that, and for you know the hateful eights part, I'm hoping OU or Texas doesn't reach Arlington, but um, you know, it is weird how it kind of got shooken out. You know, I am disappointed that OSU is not going to be able to play Texas. That game would have been in Austin. Um, I'm a big fan of going down to Austin and raising hell. Uh, have been for a while, so um, obviously that's not looking too great. Uh, on that end, maybe next year if the schedule, if they stay and the schedule, um, you know, changes up, maybe that is, uh, you know, Oklahoma State and Austin. But, uh, yeah, I think it's – I think a lot of these teams wanted their last shot at them to, to send them off, you know, with a, with an L. But, uh, sadly, not going to happen. The big winner on the Big 12 schedule release, then we'll move on to talk hoops, Baylor. Baylor gets uh, – five of their first six games at home. And then on top of that, they get eight total home games as is. And uh, I guess the one thing is that they do finish out their final three weeks. They get K-State, the defending Big 12 champs, TCU, who was in the playoff last year, and then West Virginia to finish off the regular season. Not, Not easy, you know, two of those final three games there. But nonetheless, I mean eight home games and five of the first six at home. Um, Dave Aranda and Baylor, I mean, this this, this better be a bounce back year. They, they cannot have another six or seven win season like they did last year. I mean, with the way the schedule plays their advantage here, Baylor better be an eight or nine win football team at, at least. Yeah, I could see Baylor bouncing back and, uh, you know, kind of making some noise. You know, they're Obviously, a year removed from the Big 12 championship. They had a down year last year. I think Shapin still obviously was learning a little bit last year. And they had, a you know, a lot of people leave from that championship run team. So, uh, I do think Baylor can be back to, yeah. you know, kind of maybe have a chance to, to get back to Arlington. Yeah, I think so. Um, Big 12 uh, hoops-wise, uh, let's start, look back at the Big 12 SEC Challenge first. Big 12 goes 7-3 and three against the SEC. I think Tom and I both were feeling pretty good about the Big 12's position going into the challenge, the final Big 12 SEC Challenge at that. But 7-3 and three was incredible uh, what this league did. And probably, you know, Everyone's going to point to what Kansas did against Kentucky, and that was a big deal going on the road, sure. But the biggest shocker of all, Tom, was OU not just beating number two Alabama, but dominating Alabama. Biggest win of Porter Moser's time 
with the Sooners so far to this point. To win that in that fashion like they did, OU hasn't played great. They did just lose last night to Oklahoma State as well. Um, but, you know, to get that win against Alabama, a very good Alabama team, uh, watch out. I mean, that, that could be the spark OU needed to, to try to make a run here and make the tournament here. Yeah, not to mention, you know, that that uh, was it Lenardi's bracketology had kind of OU on the bubble there. And so that was a much-needed win and a very impressive win at that to uh, maybe get them over the hump into the tournament, depending on how that their February goes. Yeah, yeah, that was a big deal. Uh, you know, then also looking at just kind of what happened Saturday as well, K-State dominates against Florida. OSU with an 82-60 win over Ole Miss, winning by 22 points. OSU is 12-9 and here. Tom, uh, do you think the Pokes are going to start to uh, do something here? Uh, got the Ole Miss win, got the OU win here. Um, is Mike Boynton's team, are they starting to figure out, you think? I'm hoping so. You know, I'm hoping for February of luck. Um, you know, I think, you know, Mike Boynton's been through a lot at OSU. None of that was necessarily his fault. Um, but you know, it's time to kind of put up or shut up. It's like, all right, well, you got to start winning some games. You've had some time and I, you know, not, I wouldn't say hot seat wise, you know, if they don't make the tournament, I don't think he's let go or anything. I think they'd give him a couple more years, but, uh, I think he's well liked in Stillwater. And as far as I can tell, I've met him, um, and he's a great guy, but definitely would, uh, you know, get his seat a little bit colder if, uh, he could get. Um, you know, into the tournament this year. Like I said, I don't think his seat's hot. I do think it's room temp, though. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Texas Tech got a, a much-needed win uh, against LSU uh, after they had been struggling for a bit. Uh, they win 76-68. Then they followed that up with beating Iowa State in overtime 80-77. to Tech had looked bad there, and now two big wins back-to-back. Their next stretch... They get Baylor, OSU, K-State, and then Texas here. Um, we'll see if Texas Tech can uh, can ride the momentum here. These next four games, crucial for the Red Raiders here. Oh, I mean, yeah, and, you know, you can name off any Big 12 team stretch, and it's not going to be easy. I mean, this is we, – we know this. We've talked about that for the last four years, that it's just been every February. It's just uh, – I mean, it's a gauntlet. And any any you could throw any team in that mix. You can combo any team you want, and uh, you know, give me any four teams against another team, and it's it's uh, you know it's the worst league to really bet on. Right? Yeah, uh, I don't think you're wrong about that. Um, what, what what I see is that the problem with uh, with Texas Tech, their their biggest flaw of some sorts. You know, I I, I like Kevin O'Banner, their top scorer. He was uh, on that ORU team that made that Sweet 16 run with Max Aismas. Very good player. But, I mean, you think about last year when they had Terrence Shannon and Kevin McClure and company, he was like the number three or four guy, and he was good in that role. And at Oral Roberts, at ORU, he was the number two guy and was a good compliment to Max Aismas. Um, I, I don't know if, if Kevin O'Banner – is is good enough to be your number one guy uh essentially and and not taking anything away from kevin o'banner at all here but um 
I mean, you, you can see that they're asking O'Banner to do a lot and a lot beyond his capabilities here. They're going to need more guys to start to figure out uh, beyond just Kevin O'Banner for this Texas Tech team because I don't know. I, I don't think he could be your your key contributor, your number one guy, if you're expecting to be successful here. Yeah, no, I don't think they're going to – I mean, you know, going to have to have someone step up and, and uh, you know – Tech obviously under Chris Beard before he left, you know, had that had those players and uh, was able to find a way. And I, I think that Tech will, uh, you know, maybe not as successful as the past, but uh, I I like Tech's chances to to have someone step up and to, and to kind of start coming through. But uh, like you said, it can't be just one guy, right? Uh, for sure, for sure. Uh, Texas loses Tennessee by 11 on the road. Uh, Tennessee, a very good team. Not an embarrassing loss at all. Um, you know, not, not a bad loss by any stretch. But then they bounce back to beat Baylor 76-71 to uh, on Monday. And now their stretch, they got K-State coming up. They got Kansas uh, on Big Monday here uh, in a couple days. West Virginia and then Texas Tech here. Um you know, we, we, we already know that Texas is a good team with the talent that they have, you know, with Marcus Carr and, and Rice and Allen and these guys here. I mean, they, they got a good roster here. But, you know, with, with all they've been through, with the turmoil since that Chris Beard deal and the changes they've gone on, that coaching staff and everything here this year, Tom, um, I, I think we're going to find out the question if Texas is an elite team or not here within these next couple of weeks. They're a good team, but uh, you know they've made it this far without Chris Beard. Now let's see if uh, if they're really legit, if they're going to be a contender or not without Chris Beard. We're going to find out that answer here in the next couple of weeks, I feel like, here. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, uh, you know, with, that, with what Texas has had to go through this year, I mean – They've weathered the first part of the storm. Now here comes the downpour. Right, right, and if if they can pull that off and and make that run and and uh, have some success in the tournament, then I think you know if, if you're a Texas basketball fan, then you chalk that up as a dub of a season. Could it could be a lot worse? Very right much, now. very much could be a lot worse. Um, one more thing, and then we'll uh, we'll move on. Bringing Jonathan Nutton here. Here's the Big Twelve standings right now. Texas is atop the league at seven and two. And then you have Iowa State, TCU, Kansas, and K State a game back at six and three. Baylor at five and four. OSU at four and five. OU in West Virginia two and seven. Texas Tech at one and eight. And every single team is uh, at least two games above five hundred right now uh, in their overall record. Best overall record. Uh, Texas, KU, and K State are all at eighteen and four. Iowa State at fifteen and six, TCU eleven and uh, seventeen and five, Baylor sixteen and six. Um, with all that being said, um, I, I think your most likely scenario is a tie for the Big Twelve championship. I know that we don't like ties; it's like kissing your sister and all that. But just the way that this thing is stacking up, Tom, um, you you could name a combination of teams. You could say. Kansas, Texas, and Baylor, or K-State, you know, TCU, 
whatever it may be, I, I think we're going to have two, maybe even three teams, all with the same record when league play ends as as uh, as two or three one true Big Twelve champions. I mean, definitely not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, it's so close. It's you know, really, it's anybody's anybody's league here at this point. I mean, uh, you know, that's what's so special about the Big Twelve that you know we get to February and there's really no clear cut picture. Uh, of what could happen. I mean, every game is huge. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Jonathan Hudden set to uh, join us next, and then uh, later on we'll uh, have Tom Fullery as well coming up uh, here on the uh, Jones Report. For, so uh, stick around for that. Jonathan Hutton joins us next. <laughs> Joining us now, Jones Sport this way. Jonathan Hutton is back here with us, the co-host of Outkick 360, also uh, – Talking all things NFL on uh, Outkick.com with his weekly NFL column, which you got to check out if you haven't done so already. And he joins us right now. Hutton, always a pleasure to talk to you, my man. What's going on? Great to be back on, uh, Tyler. Uh, I, I enjoy doing this. I enjoy talking some ball. Let's let's get after it. And congrats on all your success as well with everything you're doing with Chat Sports. Same to you, uh, Jonathan. And, and we're uh, we're both, I guess, surviving uh, some ice storms uh, right now. Uh, yeah. It sounds like. Yeah, uh, we've got a, a bit of a uh, some ice hitting downtown Nashville right behind me. So uh, it's freezing over, and then there's snow, uh, and yes. both both of those uh, cause a panic anytime there's just a small bit of that here in Tennessee. Combined, it is snowmageddon uh, behind me, about to hit later tonight. Yeah, uh, but uh, you'll be in sunny Phoenix in no time. There you uh, go. Uh, I'll be out Daytona in a couple of weeks. I'm just trying to remind myself of that. So we're <laughs> in the same boat. But uh, Hutton, uh, tell me this. Let's start off. Uh, we'll talk about the Super Bowl here in just a second. But okay. want to begin with some of these coaching changes. The biggest yeah. one, obviously, being Denver bringing in Sean Payton, and they had to give up some draft capital to do it. What do you think about the move uh, the Broncos made to bring in Sean Payton here? Well, I mean – Look, uh, they they circled back to the coaches that had originally turned them down. That's the sense I get. Now, Peyton maybe never officially turned them down. He just told them what he needed. The difference between Peyton and Harbaugh and D'Amico Ryans is the price tag, not just with what they're going to have to pay the guy, the price tag to go get him. And based on what they gave up to go get Russell Wilson, it's a steeper price tag than what you might think because – over the last two years, they have traded away now three first-round picks and three second-round picks in exchange for Russell Wilson and Sean Payton. And when you put it in that perspective, you're putting a lot of eggs in one basket. You're putting really all of them, your future capital, into that combination. Uh, Sean Payton comes with a, a pedigree uh, that they had to go. They they were willing to go big or go home. Right. They circled back to the reports were you know they circled back to. Jim Harbaugh up in Ann Arbor. That tells me NFL owners don't fly to college towns uh, like ADs fly in to go get their guy in college sports, right? And normally, if you're flying out in college sports to go get your coach, you're flying back with the guy and his family right. on that charter plane. They didn't do that. So they circled back to him. Reports are they they tried to hit up D'Amico Ryans again after he took his name out of consideration on Monday per reports. Uh, and if you believe all that, then they circled back to their original choice, which was, okay, we really like Sean Payton. Let's pay the hall. And they did because 
I don't think they're – I mean, I would like to know who their fourth option was. If it wasn't Dan Quinn, who was it? Because I don't get the sense they wanted to go down the path of Nathaniel Hackett again where you get a first-time head coach uh, trying to pair him with Russell Wilson. You want to get the guy that's going to be the – the, the the future and the, the the present and the future. D'Amico Ryans was the hottest name going, but he chose Houston over Denver. Beyond that, I think we know the two other options. I'm I'm fascinated by it because unlike Gruden, it's clear Sean Payton wanted to jump right back in. Right. Well, and the way I look at this, Hutton, uh, I'm curious what you think. This feels like a big risk, big reward situation. Yes. If, oh yeah. If Sean Payton can't fix Russell Wilson, then not only are you still having to pay Russell Wilson and Sean Payton, but all that draft capital now, I mean, for both guys here, they're putting all their chips on the table. If this doesn't work, this this could fail miserably. Yes. Uh, I mean, you have the wealthiest ownership in the NFL by multiple tens of billions. Uh, that's how much the Waltons are ahead of Cronky or whoever's number two right now in the league. Um, so they can pay the price if they so choose. I, I, I'm, I'm interested in the combination because of what Sean Payton did with Drew Brees. Yeah. And then his final season in new Orleans. Um, I mean, he, he went through what four quarterbacks had right. the saints in playoff contention. If I'm not mistaken, they were the last team affected by COVID protocols. They were decimated, had to keep people out that could have played. Uh, based on the way that the NFL adjusted the uh, COVID protocols right after that week, and they missed the playoffs by a game. I'm not saying they were a great team, but right. Sean Payton with four different quarterbacks uh, maneuvered that situation well. Uh, and then he bows out. He has two years left in his contract. I think he knew that things were going to get a little weird in New Orleans whenever Drew Brees was out of there, right? Right. And uh, And here we are. He's paired with Russell Wilson. And had you said this a year ago – no brainer. Right. Right. Like, uh, and really anywhere Sean Payton went, I mean, the, the rumors all season, he's going to be paired with Dak Prescott in Dallas. So now he's, he had his choice, you know, it, and it didn't have to be Denver. He could have waited another year if he wanted to do that. And he's, he's decided he's going to pair himself with Russell Wilson and go at it again. I, it's the, it's great for Russell Wilson because Payton hasn't, he has not uh, hidden what he would do. Like on Fox, he's been asked directly, like, how would you fix Russell Wilson? And he's right. bare bones in it just by saying, we're getting him out of the pocket. We're going to do some simple things just to move the chains, get his confidence level going. He said he never saw that. I didn't see that either. I didn't see points on the board in Denver. Uh, Peyton's got to do that. And he's got a very good defense behind him as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at guys like Jerry Judy that were just totally underutilized that yeah. – have a lot of potential. We know how good he was at Alabama and some of the players in this offense here. If, if anyone can fix Russell Wilson here, it'd be Sean Payton. And we've seen yeah. uh, you know, the, the similarities between Russell Wilson and Drew Brees too. Sure. Oh, no doubt. Um, you know, and you've got uh, the veteran coach with the veteran uh, quarterback who has played in two Super Bowls. He's won one bizarre to see him play as as bad as he did in 2022 i mean that he never got out of that rut and i honestly I, I never got the sense that he was uh he, he didn't enter the way i thought he was going to in terms of uh with the you know the broncos country let's ride thing i mean it was right. it, it turned into a meme more than a press conference or more than a 
a vibe, right? It was more of a tongue in cheek type thing that everyone in college football was referencing. It was funny, right. but it kind of felt manufactured and fake. Right. And Sean Payton does not come across that way. Nathaniel Hackett, his hire felt manufactured and fake because they wanted Aaron Rodgers. The whole thing uh, that the trade is announced literally within an hour, less than an hour of Aaron Rodgers deciding he's staying in Green Bay for 50 million. Um, Russell Wilson's there, Bronco country, let's ride. And then everything else, all the reports came out about the, you know, he didn't want to give a phone number out to a teammate at some point. It was just bizarre. Yeah. Uh, Sean Payton's got to come in and change the overall tenor and, and tone and mindset of the organization because that's what ownership wants. I mean, they're willing to pay the price and they're locked in with Russell Wilson. So if you're locked into that contract, you've got to get the coaching hire right. Payton's been there and done that. Yeah, he has. Uh, the other hire that was announced uh, today, D'Amico Ryan's going to the Houston Texans, the uh, San Francisco 49ers uh, defensive coordinator, obviously played for the Texans. Yeah. I like D'Amico Ryan's a lot, and you talk about comparing situations here, Hutton. They have two first-round picks. You get to choose your next quarterback and a lot of cap space. I know the Texans have been a headache of some sorts, but uh, if – the ownership can stay out of the way of some sorts to let the coach and GM do their job. There's a lot of potential here in Houston. Yes. I mean, he, you're right about the situation. D'Amico Ryan's had plenty of offers. Um, he could have been the Denver head coach and chose to go and pair himself with CJ Stroud or Bryce Young. Um, and as multiple first round picks, um, he's got to, He's clearly won over the interview process this season because Denver wanted him. Uh, you know, there were there were other organizations that interviewed him. Um, he waited on Houston. Houston doubled back even after Denver circled back to try to get him again uh, yesterday. And here we are uh, with D'Amico Ryan's needing to get the offensive coordinator hire right, and then pair that guy with the young quarterback, the rookie quarterback. I like the direction. This is the first move they've made where you're like, okay, this makes sense. Lovey Smith replacing David Culley didn't make sense. Lovey Smith was on David Culley's staff, uh, and they wanted to go with uh, McCown, right? Yeah. Like that That was, again, the, the whole process and leadership, you're right. They need to take a step back and allow this guy to go to work because when he does that, He's excellent at what he does. A young leader who's played within that organization. Um, Houston fans should be ecstatic over this hire, considering the other options, if not Sean Payton. Right. And what they don't have is the one figurehead guy with Casario taking a step aside if Payton were there, uh, much like they had with Bill O'Brien, right? They've right. they have a true young head coaching candidate turned higher, now talent and they can pair that with a young quarterback that can be the franchise. Right. Yeah, and it's a great point. And and getting the quarterback they want to, Chicago likely not going to take a quarterback at one. I would think they'll go Carter or Anderson there. I yep. mean, there, there's no excuse for, for Houston not to get this right here. They got the coach. Now you get the quarterback you want. I mean, they have every reason here to, to build this thing up, get this foundation right here. Yeah, I mean – that's assuming that Chicago doesn't trade out. I don't know. Right. Because uh, 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 they've got a young general manager themselves there in Chicago that's been trading talent for picks and trying to get draft capital in the recent seasons. Right. So, right. 
but the, now he's got the number one overall pick and in a year where you've got legitimately two, if you believe Mel Kuyper, I don't, three quarterbacks vying for the top quarterback spot. Um, maybe you use that to your advantage. That There will be a chase for these guys, unlike what we saw last season at the quarterback position. So it's a valuable number one spot, especially if you can jump Houston. And, I mean, think about the – what does that mean for Indianapolis? Right. What's the value? Value of getting ahead of Houston in the same division if you're the Indianapolis Colts. You'll have a new head coach, uh, presumably new permanent head coach, and Jeff Saturday, if not someone else, right? But again, you're now aligned with Houston a bit with young quarterback and a new head coach and positioning yourself on the direction that you're going to go. And that's not that's not the only option for them. Keep in mind, you know, you've got uh Carolina that yeah. needs to make a move. Who knows what we're going to end up seeing. Uh, within the group of teams that right now have a quarterback but may not a couple of months from now, Tampa right. Bay, Green Bay, the list goes on and on here. Um, there there will be plenty, I think, of challengers for Houston to get the top overall quarterback on their board. And maybe Houston wants to move one spot up just to right. ensure that they've got that spot and then Chicago can slide back, get draft capital, and they're guaranteed to get the top defensive player on their board if they want. Like. Right. There is value in moving down a little bit if you're Chicago. But I like what you're saying. I mean, Houston, they, they've got to get it right. And it, it can be C.J. Stroud. I think it'll be Bryce Young as right. we sit here today in January slash February 1st. Is it, you know, this, what? Yeah, tomorrow's February. Um, I think it's Bryce Young. But the combine will have a ton of momentum there. And to me, if you're in love with Bryce Young now, you're probably in love with him by the time April rolls around, C.J. Stroud's the same way. Will Levis, I mean, for him to jump and climb the ladder ahead of those two, he's got to do some work. Yeah, yeah, he certainly does. Uh, the other two head coach openings that are still out there, you mentioned Indianapolis, Arizona also looking for a head coach as well. How do you think those two are ultimately going to uh, shape out? Who do you think is going to get those jobs? Well, in Indy, it, I mean – it shouldn't be Jeff Saturday, but I think it's going to be. Yeah. You know, it, it, Ursay had uh, reports were that his daughter was in on the meetings the first go around. Um, if that's true, then she's reporting back to him. He wasn't reports where he wasn't sitting in on those first round of meetings. And then uh, Ballard had a list of like second interview candidates, and it's been lengthy. Um, Basachi is interesting because I think he's a very personable guy. Mm -hmm. Um, there's, there's a few others, but again, like it, 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 the whole thing feels like it's been set up to be Jeff Saturday's gig. And if it's not, he's probably going to have a chance to be involved in some way. Maybe I'm dead wrong on that, but who knows with Ursay? I mean, he could change his mindset quickly. Monty Austin the new general manager in Arizona, as you know, and, uh, he was here in Tennessee for a, a handful of seasons. Um, and, Recently, uh, he interviewed here in Nashville for the Titans general manager job, and uh, they hired Rand Carthon and allowed Monty Austin for it to take the interview with Arizona prior to that. So he's out in Arizona. That The process they went about, they wanted to go GM first and allow the GM to go through all of the the interviews. So uh, I uh, knowing him, he's going uh, – I think Austin Fort will want to pair with – uh, the not necessarily uh, not necessarily a first time head coach. It can be, 
right. but someone that's going to meet the requirements of where he's been and who he's been tied with. That's New England. And then though there are Tampa ties to him through John Robinson, who came from Tampa, who worked with him in New England. He had 15 seasons there with Bill Belichick. Austin Fort did. And a handful of seasons with uh, Robinson here in Nashville. So I think it kind of fits that same grain and mindset and tone and tenor uh, there in Arizona. And, uh, you know, reports are too that uh, Kyler Murray is going to have some say in all this because of the money they gave him a year ago. Yeah, uh, a lot to unfold there. Let me ask you one more question on the coaching uh, coaching searches and then we'll move on and talk uh, this Super Bowl here. You know, I know it was announced a couple weeks ago that Jim Harbaugh was going to come back to Michigan and that their university president, you know, delivered that statement and everything. And then there was reports the last couple of days that the Broncos had reached back out and visited again, but ultimately he didn't, you know, get that job. Are you surprised that Harbaugh went ahead and stayed at Michigan and didn't make that jump to the NFL? Because after two straight playoff appearances with nothing to show for it, I mean, I don't know if it's going to get any better for Jim Harbaugh. I don't know if he's going to be winning any national championships there. It seemed like he had his best opportunity potentially this year, and they couldn't get past TCU. Wasn't this his best chance for him to go ahead and make that jump now? Yeah. Uh, I mean, he would have had multiple chances. Uh, Denver, again, flew to Ann Arbor to meet with them, even though he had removed himself from consideration. And I, I view that – I mean. To me, that's Denver not taking no for an answer and making sure, hey, you're going to hear us out one more time. We did this on video conference on Zoom or whatever they used. The first go around, since then, you removed your name. You know, Now you're going back to Michigan. You were staying in Ann Arbor. We're flying in to meet with you to give you uh, you know, a, a second look at what we're going to offer you. Uh, and he still, I mean, they left without him. Uh, to me, that's him sticking by what he said. I'm surprised by that because all reports are he wants to get back to the NFL and go chase another Super Bowl. He had the opportunity in Denver. I would guess he would have the opportunity in Indianapolis. That makes a lot of sense going back to the franchise where he's in their ring of honor. Um, And beyond that, um, he's on a short list of quality head coaches that have had great success in the NFL that you would want to interview no matter who you are. Right. Right. Like no matter the franchise. Um, I'm not saying his personality fits with every NFL owner, but you would certainly want to pick his brain to see what it would require to get a not just a winning head coach, but I mean he had a great success record in San Francisco and what he could do offensively with teams right now in the league. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I'm surprised. And this is two straight years now where he's used that for leverage. Now, he doesn't have the contract extension and, and bump in pay uh, like he did last year. But, I mean, back-to-back, uh, playoff appearances, knowing that the 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 playoff is expanding in a couple years is interesting. Knowing that the the Big Ten is about to get a hundred million dollars per year for this new television contract, I think all that factors into why you would stay. But m- the vast majority of the time, if you have the opportunity to go to the NFL, coaches take it because right. it's it's not easier. It's just easier on your family. It's easier on your personal life. It's easy on your time commitments. You have a life after the workday concludes, and you don't necessarily have that in college where as soon as you punch out the time clock where you are and the the immediate needs of your football program, you're answering texts and 
not only not only from recruits, but answering texts from players and name, image, likeness, and transfer portals. I mean, that it would be exhausting. And yeah. I think that's why most of the time, they if, if given the opportunity, and it's not often, but if given the opportunity, you take the NFL gig. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, let's move on and talk about the Super Bowl. Eagles and Chiefs, what do you think about uh, this matchup between uh, these two teams? Both were the one seeds in their, uh, their conferences, but – Still very rare when we get the uh, top seeds from uh, both conferences in the Super Bowl. Yes, yes. Uh, I like it. I Personally, and I don't know where you came down on this, I would have loved to have seen Eagles-Bengals mm-hmm. uh, with the opportunity of two young quarterbacks to take over the mantle with Patrick Mahomes. An injured Patrick Mahomes going into the game against the Bengals. I, I picked Cincy. Uh, I was wrong. Uh, it, it, it's hard to bet against Patrick Mahomes. It's hard to bet against Andy Reid and Kelsey and, uh, quite honestly, Spagnola. He's yeah. been excellent in big moments, really big moments in the playoffs. The Kansas City defense quietly sneaks up on you, and they have these big-time performances. Chris Jones in the middle or, you know, uh, well, he's plays for San Francisco now, but in the past, Charvarius Ward would come right. up with some big plays. I mean, that's – that's kind of their vibe is they come up with enough plays to get the football back and get a game winning drive going for their quarterback. Um, but with that in mind, defense traditionally has success in this game. Philadelphia's defense is incredible at every level. They can cover on the outside. They've got, uh, I think they have the personnel that can help defend Kelsey, although it's impossible to truly shut him down in these type games. Um, and then the defensive front is just fantastic. I think they can put pressure on Mahomes. They can get him out of the pocket, uh, get him on the move, and really uh, put a uh, put him to the test. I'm, I'm eager to see that matchup. On the flip side, Jalen Hurts has one more game to prove everything. He's proven everything already, really. But the narrative shifts if he wins one. Yeah, The narrative turns into it's Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts and then Justin Herbert. Right now, it's been Burrow and Herbert, and the young quarterback's about to get the contract. Hertz enters the Burrow frame, and right. I'm, I'm intrigued to see if he does it. And, I mean, the price tag that they've paid, the trade that they made for A.J. Brown, the fact that they were running the football well before we saw this this year in their past game, they they have it. They've got a, a coach with a lot of moxie, uh, a, a coach that realizes he didn't get the opening press conference right, so he shows it to his team to show how you can grow and achieve and uh, still win despite not getting it right when you first arrive. Right. I feel that's the same kind of way and in, in tone with, with Jalen Hurts. Hurts has really impressed me this season with his postgame press conferences where yeah. he refuses to take on the successes of what he's done. Instead, he's, he immediately looks ahead and starts saying, we haven't accomplished anything yet. MVP isn't one in September or October or whenever he's asked about it. Um, two of their three losses have been when he hasn't played. They've been really, I mean, really good. They've won 16 of what? They're 19 games. So yeah. it's hard to bet against Philly, even though I bet against Kansas City a week ago and lost big time. Well, the thing I look at with this game that fascinates me, Hutton, is that if this game were played this week, I think everybody would be putting their money on Philadelphia with. Mahomes and Kelsey struggling with injuries last week yep. and, you know, barely finding a way to win that game. 
And then now you have this bye week, a chance to rest up. And to me, that that changes everything. That makes it a whole different ball game if Mahomes and Kelsey are close to 100% here. Yep. And Kelsey, Kelsey's issue, I think, is a bit more worrisome because it's the back, right? The back spasms or whatever it is. Right. That can that can linger. That can pop up whenever. The uh, a, a big game, Kelsey, though. Uh, the the Kelsey storyline's cool with the brothers too. Yes, uh, it'll get old quickly next week, I'm sure. But it's it's a cool storyline right now. And the you know with Mahomes, just um, his ability to rise to the occasion, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the someone asked me this week, like how would you describe Mahomes versus any quarterback in the NFL? And it's well, certain quarterbacks, if they get the ball, you feel like they're going to go score. Yeah, no one does it like Patrick Mahomes. You know, when he, if he's got the ball last, ball game. Like, there was no doubt when Burrow, when Chris Jones got Burrow for that sack on third down and they were punting back, even though KC punted to them with, what, two and a half, three minutes left in the game, yeah. fourth quarter, tied at 20, they punted it back to Burrow. Uh, they still get the ball back, have a great punt return. We know the Osai penalty, but it was the run by Mahomes that set up everything, ball game. Like, it's just, he's just, the, the the top quarterback in the league and he's got a chance to win a, another Super Bowl playing in his third uh we, we are seeing one of the the legends develop over the course of uh what is still a young career I mean the guy's 27 years old at a position that is protected to where you can play when you're 40 Brady would say 46 uh we got a long way to go with him and he's in his in his third Super Bowl already. It's, it's remarkable considering how quickly he's done this. He's the youngest quarterback in history to win 10 playoff games. Yeah. Uh by by this age. So uh hats off to him. He he does f- a phenomenal job and he's got a phenomenal head coach helping him out. What what also interests me about this game Hutton, you know, it's the National Football League, Super Bowl, seems like all of that just getting there should be enough motivation, but you heard what Travis Kelsey said the yeah. game about the Cincinnati mayor, and we we know what we've heard from uh, Jalen Hurts and some of those guys. They played with a chip on their shoulder all year. Even with as good as both these teams are, both these teams pl- still play with that edge. They like they have something to prove. Well, Philly, I mean, Philly's had the they've had the burden of proof put on them each week, and they've always they've always achieved that mark for the most part. Now they've had a couple of wins that were not clean, and they didn't play their best ball game, honestly, against San Francisco. Score wouldn't reflect that, but I mean, their their yards per play were not as good as what we've seen in weeks right. past with them. Uh, Kansas City, though, it's you make a great point because it is rare to have a team in their third Super Bowl in what four years, and they're pointing to the fact that there's a chip on their shoulder because they're the underdog. Yeah. You know, like, how dare you doubt us? And most of the time, a lot of that self-driven trash talk that is contrived in the mind of an athlete, that makes a lot of athletes great, but it's also just not true, right? In this case, it's kind of true. Kansas City's going to be the underdog by the time kickoff rolls around. They've got Patrick Mahomes, who's going to be the MVP again. They have Mahomes, who just passed for uh, 5,000 yards for the second time in his career. Only three quarterbacks in history, including him, have done that. Right. Over 40 touchdown passes for the second time in his career, and he did it without Tyreek Hill. I mean, we can continue to list all these things. There's no reason why they should be counted out, but yet I do feel like 
I mean, I counted them out against Cincinnati. We're going to count them. I don't know who you're picking up. I'll eventually end up just saying I'm picking Philadelphia because I think they're that good at every phase of the on the field. But Tyler, I mean, uh, the last time Philly was in the Super Bowl, they got off the plane wearing those underdog masks. Mm-hmm. And they can't do that now. I mean, they're 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 supposed to be where they are. KC, despite being the one seed, uh, I mean, everyone pointed to Buffalo getting the shaft because they didn't play that game against Cincinnati. Um, and they're I mean they were gonna play this on a neutral field. And instead, it went through Arrowhead, thank goodness, because the atmosphere was tremendous. Kelsey's promos, um, all of that. That's why home field is so genuine and needed. Uh, In a manufactured, uh, uh, unpolished, uh, corporate vibe that is the Super Bowl, that is the college football playoff, that is, you know, for the most part, uh, big games now in sports. That's actually – that's an aspect I don't think the NFL needs to lose. No. Because of the what 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 ended up being the Burrowhead trash talk and what it led to. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. It, it was uh it was something else, uh, for sure. A couple more uh, NFL notes real quick and then uh we'll move on here. I want to ask you, uh, with San Francisco losing Brock Purdy from the next six months, what does that mean, you think, for them and their quarterback situation? I know that we've heard Trey Lance, his connection with uh, the new Titans GM, who, of course, came up from San Francisco. Uh, We also know that Tom Brady grew up a a San Francisco fan and everything. What do you think is going to happen with San Francisco and their quarterback situation next year? Or do they even just wait on Purdy to get healthy here? Uh, I mean, so Purdy's what rehab is going to be around six months Mm -hmm. per reports. And it's basically, it it didn't require, um, the Tommy John surgery, but it could, as we sit here today, I'm trying to remember if there's been anything reflected over the last 24 hours. I don't think there has, uh, if that's the case, he's still looking at about the same time frame, And we have seen, uh, quarterbacks have this surgery. You think of it from major league baseball, but quarterbacks have this surgery and they've been fine. Uh, still there's an unknown factor to that over the next six months, as you lead into mini camp and OTAs where he's not, I mean, he's going to be gradually be brought back into this. And you do have, while it was a great snapshot, you do have a very small sample size. You have an even smaller sample size with Trey Lance, who's coming off the broken ankle. So, um, And Garoppolo's got the no uh, franchise tag clause in the restructured deal where he, he was brought back to San Francisco. So um, it's interesting. I, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have bought into the whole Brady theory based on other options. Uh, but as soon as the injury happened with Purdy, uh, younger and cheaper options, I should add. Uh, as soon as the uh, injury happened with Purdy, San Francisco jumped to the number one trend and the number one odds-on favorite in Vegas for Brady right now. Um, second is is the Raiders. I think one, uh, the, the 49ers are plus 125, Raiders are plus 150. If you uh, look online right now, it's your favorite site. But I, uh, I don't rule that out based on Shanahan, based on the fact that they've been all in. And, and the fact that they they view this as a a window of opportunity, and why shouldn't they? With their defense, with their uh, certainly with their backfield, um, and the fact that you've got an offensive line that can protect a veteran QB. That being said, I think Brady is more likely to end up in Vegas. That's just personal gut feeling, and I think Purdy is 
going to be battling Trey Lance. I don't think they trade Trey Lance. Not yet. Not what they not after what they gave up for him, because I don't think you're getting nearly that in return, no matter who's trading for him. So uh, I don't think any team's willing to pay the price tag on that. Uh when you can go draft a guy this year uh with the top three or four quarterbacks are pretty good. So I and and by the way, Brock Purdy's also uh something to point out if you're a general manager to your scouting department on yeah. identifying traits and going and getting the guy that you can develop. You are allowed to develop quarterbacks behind the scenes. Uh, despite what they'll tell you, players have plenty of time around the facility during the season to get reps, and Purdy was ready, and Shanahan trusted him. He ran his offense with him. He's throwing on third and two against the Cowboys. Or third and two, he's throwing a pass against the Cowboys for a gain of seven. Yeah. It's a quick crossing pattern to George Kittle in traffic with the last pick in the NFL draft as a rookie. You're allowed to draft traits, but also develop those guys quickly. Purdy was remarkable, but they have a great team around him. And they probably view that as a reason why they can run it back and bring in a veteran that can be a serviceable backup. And it can be Trey Lance, by the way. It can be. I just don't, I don't, I don't see Trey Lance over that small sample size like I have viewed Brock Purdy. And what he's done with the run that he went on. Right. Purdy's got the momentum and he's got the locker room. Uh, after the first win, Bosa, Nick Bosa was like, We we have a quarterback. That spoke volumes to me. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I think Purdy's the guy. Uh I'd love to see them go forward, Brock Purdy, and see what happens there. Yeah. Um, final NFL note, the uh team in your backyard, the uh, Titans, a lot of question marks heading this offseason. Future Ryan Tannehill. Um, you know, what what do you make of what's going on with that Tennessee team? Are they are they closer to starting over and rebuilding than they are to contending? Where, where does this team go from here? I don't think they're I don't think they're rebuilding. Um I think they have a chance though to rebrand. All okay. right. So they have they haven't had a good offensive coordinator for the last two years since Arthur Smith left for Atlanta. But what they have now with the offensive coordinator position still wide open, we still haven't heard anything on that. I think that hire is bigger than any personnel move that they're about to make with their roster. Mm. They've got to get that right. And when I say rebrand, I still think the, I still think the uh, identity is in the trenches. It still can be Derrick Henry. Um, but it doesn't mean it has to be unimaginative yeah. and predictable and low scoring and uh, uh, a, an offense that doesn't feel like it's very creative. You can have all those things and still have an identity that's in the trenches and that's tough, physical, uh, team first, whatever litany of code words and catchphrases that Vrabel and the the team want to throw out there, you know, for the longest time they were living up to that. And then, but you know, when they traded away AJ Brown, I didn't like it, but they didn't feel like they traded away their identity Yeah, because their identity was offensive line and Henry and a great defense. There was a stretch run for this Titans defense where they were leading the league in scoring. I mean, they were very good from like week four to week 12 ish. And that went away as as the injuries continued to pile up. But that, I think they believe in great defense and good offense. 
but they have a chance to rebrand that. For instance, um, it, can, it it might be just as simple as they're going to name Tim Kelly as their offensive coordinator. He was the pass game coordinator last year, uh, but we still don't know how much of an impact he had uh, on on anything offense uh, because Todd Downing was fired. Um, it could be Eric Bieniemy. His contract's up after this season. He wants a head coaching job. He can certainly get some interviews, but if he doesn't get it, does he view this as, well, I need to get out from underneath Andy Reid, who has a heavy influence on this offense in Kansas City, and I'll have full control of an offense in Tennessee. The Titans have asked for permission to speak with him, but after the Super Bowl, they don't have to ask for permission to speak with him because he's currently not going to be under contract. Point being, they can rebrand who they are offensively, and it still feel like Titans style, uh, a yeah. Titans offensive style. Uh, Rand Carthon's interesting because he did not – you mentioned Tannehill in the opening press conference. He His tenor on Henry was, oh, I can't wait to get in here and like get in front of him and size him up, right? Like we, we hear all these folk uh, – all, all of these uh, stories behind the scenes of what the guy's like and when you first see him, how big he is. With Tannehill as well, well, I don't know the roster all that well. I'm not going to commit one or the other. I need to evaluate where we are. And, and, you know, compare notes, so to speak, on what I think is, is best for the franchise. Um, that doesn't mean Tannehill can't be the answer. It means he's open to any and all suggestions and options. And that could go a variety of different ways. It yeah. really could. Because they can yeah. save $18 million on the cap by cutting him or trading him. And they can also say by keeping him around, because he wasn't the problem. He, is, he, he was the problem in their last playoff loss. But he wasn't the problem this year. He played through injury. I thought he showed a lot of grit and toughness and his desire to play through the high ankle sprain, which he re-injured and then had to have surgery. Um, if you bring him back, you can still play a winning style, especially in this division. Mm -hmm. And there is no way – final thought. I've heard a lot about rebuilding, breaking it down, tearing it down, rebuilding. There is no way Mike Vrabel is signing up for a rebuild where you have the – um, I guess the overall mindset of 2023 is not a winning season. No, it's not in his DNA. Uh, and I don't think Rand Carthon's taking the gig to tear it all down for a Mike Vrabel coach team, especially when Vrabel's sticking around and it's all about collaboration. That's the new catchphrase here, collaboration between Carthon and Vrabel. Behind closed doors, Vrabel's not going for that. And that's just by knowing his personality. And I, the chances are Rand Carthon is not going for that either because he's coming from San Francisco where they had a ton of success. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great point. It's going to be very interesting to see the uh, direction, direction of that franchise going forward. Last thing, we'll end on this. Uh, I know that uh, you're a big college basketball guy, and I was watching over the weekend the uh, Big 12 SEC Challenge, and I heard all this talk going in how great the SEC was with Alabama and Tennessee, among others, and – I mean, the Big 12 and the final one, I'm sad to see this thing in, just dominated the way they did there. What What, what is the, the strength in SEC basketball? Is Alabama, Tennessee, those teams, are they legit or are they still a step behind the uh, the Big 12? What would you make of what happened last Saturday? Well, in terms of uh, top to bottom quality, they're behind the Big 12. Uh, 
The top of the conference, though, is pretty good. Tennessee and Texas, that matchup, Tennessee's defense, it's tough to score 60 points on Tennessee. Yeah. It, it was really tough. That's going to serve them well in a game where maybe they don't have it in the tournament. Well, their defense is going to pull through. They can defend you in, without having help defense. I think that's a quality that not a lot of teams have. And they have, again, solid guard play. Uh, in some cases, better than last year, even with what they've lost. Sakai Ziegler is amazing to watch. Um, Alabama is really good. They, they're a bit different. I don't know how you view them. They're a bit different to me this year where Nate Oates, they're running a style where they, in, in the past, it was live and die by the three. They're better than that this year, right? They're not conducive to everything being a three-point attempt and trying to go on those spurts and runs and having the last one as the the horn sounds. Um, but at the top of the Big 12, uh, I don't doubt you, but the 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 core of the conference too, um, what, three SEC teams in the top 25 right now? And yeah, the Blue Bloods are down, too. including Kentucky. So, um, yeah, I, I don't disagree with any sentiment that the Big 12 is overall better. I do think Tennessee and Bama can play with anybody in the country. Yeah, uh, it should be very interesting to see. Uh, let's see if Rick how do you Barnes, feel about it? How do you feel about overall the the comparison? Uh, to me, I, I felt like that you know we learned a lot this past week. Uh, you know, seeing Kansas bounce back, Kansas State dominate against Florida the way that they did. Yep. The telling sign I thought was Oklahoma, who was not has, hasn't been great at all this year, just dominating yeah. that Alabama team. It seemed like some of these Big Twelve schools. We're glad to have a, a Saturday off from playing the Big 12 and playing these SEC <laughs> yeah. schools. At least that's what it came off to me. But I like this, by the way. I really like the SEC Big 12 challenge. And that's going – aren't I'm they going to, to ACC now? SEC, a ACC? Yeah, SEC, ACC, and it sounds like we could have Big 12 and Big 10 coming. Okay. They already um, have one with the Big East, too. So Mixing and matching it, uh, I'm all for it. But I, I do like, like – like uh, Tennessee, Texas, Big 12 fans won't like this, but like I like the idea of Texas coming in and having the battle for UT, right? Yeah. Like I like things like that in college basketball. And, and by and large, I like the way teams are scheduling now. Yeah. I mean, uh, and I like some of the home court feel that we're, we're getting back to instead of these neutral site uh, tournaments, you know, or one-offs. Like I hate it whenever Tennessee and Memphis were playing at the arena here in Nashville. No yeah. reason for that. Um, right. You know, Gonzaga now is getting teams to fly out and, and join them. I I like – I just like where college basketball is, and it's weird. It is weird to look at today's top 10 in the top 25, the top 10 schools, and the brands and logos associated with the face currently of college hoops. Right. Vastly different. The, it, I mean, it's jarring when you see it. You're like, okay, where, where where's everyone else? Where are the teams I'm used to? This is the new college basketball. This is uh, – I, I like the parity right now, and I like some of uh, how some of these teams are constructed. And the coaching, I think, top to bottom across college hoops is really, really good. Oh, it is. It is. And, I mean, if you got a good coach, you can be right up there. I mean, we've seen that. You know, Auburn with Bruce Pearl. Auburn was nothing yes. forever. And what Bruce has done there, making them top 20 team every year. I mean, yeah, it's something else. Uh, Hutton, uh, before we go, man, uh, what's, what's going on in your world, uh, without kick? I know you guys are growing and everything and enjoying, uh, some old mo smoky moonshine all the time. What's, uh, yeah. what's good with you guys there? 
Yeah, man. We uh, so we're based out of Nashville uh, at a, a venue called Sixth and Peabody with Old Smoky Moonshine Yeehaw beer that's made on site. It's a block, a city block. You've been there, uh, city block long facility, and we we are lucky enough to have a studio there. Our Outkick Studios. Uh, we're live with Outkick three sixty three to six Eastern, two to five Central. And uh, yeah, I'm hoping that your listeners will uh, give us a listen. You can download the podcast. Just search out Outkick three sixty. And uh, we're headed to uh, the Super Bowl next week. We will arrive Tuesday night. We'll start taping some some coverage there, and uh, we will be live Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And uh, then I'm checking out the Waste Management Open for the first time while we're there on Saturday, which should be a blast. And so we'll be doing some uh, some hits and some interviews from there as well. It should be a, a, a lot of fun. And uh, daily, it's it's been a lot of fun just being able to kick back and react to the stories of the day because I was doing a show uh, here in Nashville before I joined OutKick uh, with myself and Chad. We we were reacting, but we were acting starting at 9 a.m. Like all everything's happening right live, and it's just uh, in the moment, right? And, uh, and, and a lot of times we were still reacting to the night before. Being on in the afternoon at 3, we're reacting to all the stories of – what has happened over the last three or four hours, not 24 hours, which has been a lot of fun. We're previewing a lot of stuff and uh, hitting on some headlines that are breaking. It's, it's a, it's a blast. And we have the freedom to really hit on a variety of different topics that otherwise we wouldn't be able to do if we were working on other outlets. I love it. Uh, Hutton, uh, appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks for joining us. Everybody check out outkick 360 outkick.com. Always a pleasure talking to you, my man and uh, enjoy the uh, Super Bowl in Phoenix. We'll be talking again soon. Yeah, anytime. I love coming on the podcast. Appreciate you. Final segment before we go. It's our Tom Fullery story of the week where Thomas Bridges tells us something ridiculous happening in the world. Tom, uh, where shall we head to this time? Jones, we're headed to television, and this show is on TLC and gives tender love and care a new meaning. Uh, <laughs> Milf Manor discussed viewers, critics say, a rock bottom. If you think the concepts seen on reality TV are wild, wait until you hear about the newest show on TLC, leaving viewers horrified. Eight single moms in their 40s and 50s go on a dating show to meet men in their 20s and 30s, only to find out in the first episode those younger men are their sons. Milf Manor is filmed in Mexico and is aired on America's cable channel, TLC, which also has bought, brought viewers 17 seasons of Sister Wives, a show about a man with four wives and 18 children, and more recently, I Am Shauna Ray, the journey of a 22-year-old woman dating in an 8-year-old's body. I did see that recently, Jones. I don't watch reality TV. I don't watch a whole lot of TV just to begin with, unless it's yeah. a good show. Um, like a Netflix series, or more recently, Last of Us, I've been watching on HBO Max. But I did recently hear about the I Am Shauna Ray, um, and it is a 22-year-old woman in a very small body. Um, I think she had cancer that stopped her puberty, and then she was stuck in that body forever. I don't know. Have you seen that girl? I have. Uh, I've seen that she struggled to buy alcohol, even with an ID before, too. Yes, that would be... I can I can imagine that. I mean, she's all of maybe like four foot nine, um, and she is recently. I seen that this is how I saw it popped up on something on Twitter, and it, she's dating like a twenty six year old, and they're standing next to each other. I mean, her face 
does look like she could be older, but definitely the body of an eight-year-old, which is kind of weird for anybody that tried to date her. But continue on with MILF Manor. Thanks to social media clips, clips from MILF Manor have made their way to viewers across the world. On TLC's own TikTok videos, the show has been slammed as vile, gross, weird, horrendous, disgusting, disturbing, and the most uncomfortable show ever. (laughs) Elsewhere on social media and in published reviews, the critique is even more intense. The New Yorker described as the new low and perhaps even a rock bottom for reality TV. In the first episode, the sons of women arrive at the mansion and one reads the text message, you are not exactly on the show you thought you were on. You are now in the same dating pool. Open your minds and have an experience you may never have imagined. It cuts to producer interview with real estate broker and fitness coach Kelly Mortensen, 51, who says, I'm so excited to meet these other guys. Sorry, ladies, I might be sleeping with your son. The show, which began airing in mid-January, has included the sons and mothers writing anonymous sexual admissions and then having to guess who they belong to. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> Oh, no. I'm sure the sun... I wouldn't want to know. Um, oh, my gosh. There's a little still image that says... That has the subcaption on it. Wait, that's my mom right there. The sons and moms were told they were going to be on a reality show about older women dating. So the sons have obviously been tricked into it. She's kind of kinky like that, one said... One son said as a reasoning for guessing his own mother was behind a confession about once having sex in a shopping center elevator. That's incredible. Um, In another challenge, the women were blindfolded and ran their hands along young men's shirtless bodies to identify their sons. What the fuck? This is my first time. This is my first time reading this article. Oh, what? Oh, my God. That's see. That's where I've drawn the line. <laughs> That's fucking weird. In uh, <laughs> one viral clip posted by a user on TikTok, Mortensen's son, Joey 20, talks about her breast in detail as an explanation to why she gets attention from the young men. This is weird as hell. She responds, It didn't bother you when you were sucking on them as a baby either. You were really thirsty. What in the hell? There's no way. I've seen uh, the clip. <laughs> That's real. I need to erase the last 30 seconds from my memory, please, one user commented. Freud would have loved this, wrote another, a common joke being made in association with the show. Mortensen, who is a mom of six from Orange County, has said in an interview she was grateful for the time she got to spend with her eldest son on the show. The mother shared bedrooms with their sons and that she would do it again. What the fuck? She was reportedly told the show would be about older women dating younger men and that Joey was invited along to be her support system. Daniela Newman, the managing director of the London-based production company behind the idea for the show, said she doesn't understand what all the fuss is about. She told the Washington Post the show about fe- is about female empowerment, erasing the double standard stigma of older women dating younger men, that everyone on the show had a good time, and that every man is someone's son. So I'm not quite sure what the big deal is no one's doing anything wrong and these are all consenting adults newman told the publication i don't really understand it but i think that anything that provokes conversation is a very positive thing jones first question for you would you go on the show with lisa no would uh would you go on this show with misty no i wouldn't i mean obviously it seems like our, our our parents both seem happily married so right I don't think that would work out, but 
very interesting show. I have not watched it. I'm going to have to give it a watch, to be honest. I have to see at least one episode of this. I got to see what this is all about. And the the clip of that you referenced of the the one guy talking about his how his mom gets attention uh, because of her her boobs and uh, and she mentions that you know he didn't mind sucking them as a baby. I'm like, what the actual hell? You know, I mean, <laughs> goodness, you know. I mean, yeah, I don't know if I've ever heard of a show like this or even close. Uh, I'm gonna have. I mean, it's definitely Tom Fullery, but I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna have to give it at least one watch. And I, I don't see I, what this is all about. Um, you know, like I had heard that this type of show was in the works. Um, and you know, it was getting a lot of attention at the time when it was when it initially got announced. But uh, I guess in the trailer, they said there was a plot twist, and I think I I'd said at the time. I bet you the plot twist is that it's their own mothers um, that are on the show. And sure enough, that's what it was. That, that I think it would have been interesting enough just as is if it would have been, you know, the uh, you know the younger guys and the older women thing. That would have been interesting enough. Now you add in that element and uh, you, got, you got a whole nother. It's a whole different show, comparably speaking, compared to what it could have been. Oh, I mean, that's what, yeah. I mean, you could do a spinoff show where it's just about these older women dating just different, you know, younger men. But now you bring in the plot twist, like you said, with the sons. It's a whole new ball game. If the moms all stay in the same house, like, all, obviously, like, all the sons are there. Are you, you know, is is uh, is Joey telling uh, is Joey telling Billy that he's like, hey, hey, Bill, I'm banging your mom. You know, is is Billy trying to get back at Joey for banging his mom? So he goes and tries to bang Joey's mom. Like, how does that work? Is, is the moms like not knowing who's banging their son? Like, and then I, they I have the, uh, the moms and the sons are, are staying together. Like based on you, know, like the, whoever your mom is, you stay with your mom on that show. I mean, are they bringing back the, the moms or the sons with the other one right there in the room. I mean, how's that work? Do, do they put a sock on the door? What what goes on there? Yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't even want to know. I mean, yeah, I, I, it would be it would be a horrible situation. And then, uh, you know, like I remember that there was this uh, this was several years ago in Tulsa, and uh, I was just talking flirting with this older woman she was probably 40 i was probably 25 24 20 and i there i posted a snap video of me and this girl together and my mom got pissed really uh yeah she was like who she was like who the fuck is that she was like, i'll beat her ass like she's too old like what the hell <laughs> and so i can only imagine some of these moms you know might be like you know if if sherry's How'd your mom know right away? Did your mom recognize who that was, or did she just guess like how much older she looked into? You could tell she was much older. I mean, not you could tell she was in her forties. Like, um, my mom was very not happy. But you know, what if you know if Sherry and um, if Sherry and Kelly are talking, and you know Kelly finds out Sherry's sucking her son's cock, 
Like, how's that? <laughs> how's that conversation work? Right. Yeah. My gosh, it's it's very interesting, boy. And uh, you know, there's so many plot twists. I got I got to see this show and see how this this actually all works with uh, with the sons and the moms and because it isn't Tom the. The, the thing that's usually off limits, like you don't want anybody, you know, effing your your sister or your mom. Isn't that usually like, you know, the the, the violation of the, the bro code from the beginning? Right. But I'm assuming obviously the, these these younger sons don't obviously know each other in the beginning. Right. But they're hanging out. I'm sure they're becoming friends on the show. But they all know why they're there, too. Right. To bang hot moms, <laughs> you know. So, what do you, you know, what do you do? Do you form a pack together and, you know, just say, okay, no one's banging anybody's mom, right? And then the show ends. Like, are I mean, you know, the moms are probably like, yeah, I definitely like. Kelly's probably like, yeah, I don't really like. Uh, I really don't like Lisa, so I'm definitely gonna try to bang her son. <laughs> just because she's being a bitch like, like <laughs> you know like is that, i mean i'm sure you Man. know if if there was some dude out there at the at the bar and i didn't like him or he was being an asshole or he's just a piece of shit person uh and just a terrible person altogether, and he had a hot mom i might try to bang her just be like yeah screw you dude i banged your mom <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, like I would, I mean, sure. <laughs> you know, I just, I'm like, all right. Like, yeah, I got to just for those, those, those statements alone, I have to see. I, I'm going to give it one, I'm going to give one episode a watch. Not the first one, though. The first one just gives like the premise of the show. I need to watch like a mid season episode. Like, uh, all right. The last show like this that I watched, I watched one episode of some show. Oh, one episode of Love is Blind. And then I was like, I can't do it. I didn't even make it through one episode. I was like, I can't do this. This is so stupid. And I shut it off. So there's a warning to uh, all you out there. If you piss off Tom and you got a hot mom and she's single, Tom's coming for her. I'm going to try. I'm going to try for sure. Yeah. So someone wants to sing karaoke, I'm putting her up first. <laughs> Would last thing and then we'll end on this. Um if if the show was just the premise of the the hot moms and the younger guys and there was no relation here, is that a show you would go on, Tom? Would would you sign up for that? Uh, am I getting paid? Yeah. Yeah, why not? I feel like that could be you could, Dom. Maybe we we've misused you. Like I feel like you could thrive in reality television. Oh, I don't. Maybe I. As long as I was getting paid for it, I think I could be a pretty good paid reality TV star. I mean, like you know, you get Tom forming alliances, or you know, being being the funny guy, whatever. I mean, like. It'd be hard to vote off Tom. I think it would. I think it would. I, it would be. 
I would, uh, you know, if I was going to go on a show like Survivor or something like that, I would definitely brother. like, I, I, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know what's funny? My dad's a huge Big Brother fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it's weird. He, he loves Survivor, loves Big Brother, and will like, you know, like whatever that comes on at whatever time, like he's in the chair ready to go. Like, <laughs> And then, like, I remember growing up, like, when I was living with them, they would, I would hear them in the living room, like, bitching at the TV. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I always got a kick out of it. Bitching at the TV about Big Brother. (laughs) Oh, yeah, man. He's like, oh, fucking Bill's getting voted out. He's, he, or whoever the new head of household is, or whatever it's called. Tom uh, on Big Brother, uh, you know, er- everybody would uh, be eating uh, chips and queso all the time, and there'd be uh, plenty of drinks on hand. Oh yeah, I mean, we would. It would be a. It would be a party. <laughs> Maybe we need to get Johnny on a reality show. The, oh. the world needs to see Johnny. They need to experience Johnny turning <laughs> off the TV during a Chiefs game. How many times did he turn it off during the AFC title game? I don't think he turned it off at all. Oh, okay. I, I mean, I don't really think ever got really down, did they? Yeah, I mean, they were they, they were down in the fourth quarter. Um, but... See, by, then, by that time, it's too it's too close for him. He's a he's definitely a, if it gets bad in the first half, he's shutting it off. Oh, <laughs> uh, God! Yeah, that on reality TV? No, thank you. Right. Uh, I remember I, I was talking to Billy after the. Uh, the Chiefs won. He said one of his next phone calls was going to be to John Bridges. Uh. Oh, he, yeah, he did. I uh, I was calling my dad. I was talking to my dad about the game after, and he's like, hold on, Billy's calling me. <laughs> Billy might be his favorite son now. <laughs> it may be that or imagine, last thing on this too, imagine the roles are reversed and it's dads and daughters on the show. That's got to be the next season, right? Oh, my God. I I couldn't do it. I think that would be that, that would be that would, way more cringe. Be real fights. There would be real fights. That would be way more cringe to watch. I think. Yeah, maybe. I I got to give it. I got to before that I vote on that. I got to see one episode of this to see how cringe because I might not make it through a full episode. That's got to be the follow up season, right? Is dads and daughters. If oh can- yeah. They'll, they'll leak it at the end of the season. They'll be like, okay, and then, welcome, you know. And, welcome to Dilf Manor. Yeah, six weeks we'll be back at the at – the, you can't it's, – it couldn't be a manor. What's another house that would start with D? Like the Dilf Den? Dilf Den, yes. Golly. Dilf Dungeon. Oh, that's uh, – that that might not be suitable for public, for cable television. That might be like a HBO After Dark. <laughs> that, that might be a Fifty Shades of Grey or something. You know? Yeah. Oh gosh. Gosh. All right, uh, we gotta go. Uh, big thanks, Jonathan Hutton, for joining us. Bo's gonna be back next week. Uh, we'll hear from him then. Uh, appreciate you, the listener, for joining us. As always, uh, make sure to subscribe to the show. New episodes out each and every week. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Tyler Jones Live, Jones underscore report on uh, Instagram, Instant Thomas on Instagram. 
Find our Jones Live, Thomas underscore Bridges, uh, and Studio underscore Soapbox on Twitter. You can find us there. And uh, we'll see you right back here next week. For Thomas Bridges, Jonathan Hutton, our entire crew, I'm Tyler Jones. Thanks so long. This has been another edition of Jones Report. We'll see you next week.